The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church, taken from the series Ecclesiastes, Finding Meaning in Life. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to Marine Creek Church. We're, we're so glad that each of you are here. My name is Kevin Groth. Uh, I'm the community pastor here at the Creek. Uh, pastor Matt and his wife Heather, they're in Jamaica. And uh, they'll be back this week and, and of course, return uh, next Sunday. But, uh, uh, of course, our prayers and our thoughts with them as they're in the sun and the sand and having all the fun out there for sure. And I just want to say thank you for all the volunteers who had a, we just, they put on a fantastic community event with a cookout last week, and it was just, the food was fantastic, all the different side dishes, and of course, uh, the meat and all that stuff, and, and the, most of all, yes, that's right, it was, it was good stuff, but it, the best part about it was the, the, was that close community that was built uh, around the, as, as Pastor Matt put it, that the close community that was built in the circle of lawn chairs, and it's just so eloquent and, and so right. And as we saw, we looked around and saw so many people just developing uh, closer friendships and, and building that community in, into their into their world there. And that's what it's all about. It, it, it's, it, it, was, it was a fantastic week. I wish we could do it again today. And uh, but there's, uh, we can't do that. But of course, we we can't do some other things there for sure. Uh, as in your own community groups and in your own circle of friends, there uh, this week is is our community groups are starting up this following the week of this next Sunday, the 16th. There's kind of a staggered start. So uh, some of them will be starting the week of the 16th, some the week of the 23rd, and some the week of the September 30th. Uh, all of our community groups are, are, are starting then. There are sign-ups in, the, in, the, in the, the tables out there in the welcome table. There's, there's a bunch of new groups there. Some are still trying to decide what or when they're going to teach or where they're going to teach. So there's a few more to come, but plenty of groups for everybody to get plugged in with. Now, this fall semester, we're doing a little bit different with our community groups. In that, we're going to be studying a passage. We're going to be studying the message, basically, that Matt preaches each Sunday. So instead of different books of the Bible that you know we normally teach on in our groups, in fact, we're going to be following the the the, the Bible studies would be based on the message. Uh, that Matt preaches on Sunday. So trying something a little bit different, it's important to get back to who we are as a church, kind of get back to the foundations, and that's what the whole uh, community group theme is is this fall. You'll see as our, many of our leaders, or all of our leaders have received the, the Bible study and as they're reading, preparing it, um, it you'll, you'll see what we mean. It's all designed to get us back to the basics of who Marine Creek Church is. And so <clears throat> this week, you know, it, uh, as, as, you know, Pastor Matt, he decided that we're going to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes many months ago. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that we, we, I love most about Matt is he's not afraid to, to, to preach through different parts of the uh, books of the Bible. And one of the things that we, we face is, you know, when, when the hard passages come up, Today is a hard passage there. He, he's in Jamaica. Go figure. So, man, I had a tough one last time, too. You know, had some, as we talked about, circumcision a little bit. So now I get, today's is about politics. And, uh, man, so it was kind of a, a sticky subject there. And, and I'm, But we're thankful. But one thing we do is no matter how tough the passage is, we plow through Scripture. 
and we no matter, it doesn't matter how hard it is, we're still going to teach it because all of Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, as Scripture says. And so we're going to teach it anyways, even though it's a tougher passage there. Uh, it Coincidentally, Matt is in on the beach there, and uh, so he's having a fun. Chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, uh, if you'll turn your Bible into Ecclesiastes chapter 10, uh, it's also on... Um, if you've got the YouVersion app, uh, you can go there and look under live events. Now, normally, I didn't do it this week because I had to, to, to take two rolls this week. But if you look under the YouVersion app on your phone, you'll see a live event. You can click click on that, and you, you'll usually see a Marine Creek. We have the sermon. We have all the notes there right on your phone on, on the app. And uh, you can certainly follow along in that uh, as well. Uh, but today I didn't do it because I got real busy this week. So today uh, in Ecclesiastes, uh, pa- the, the the passage is it is about partially about politicians and some unwise decisions that they've made, and and it also talks about uh, the businessmen, the business leaders, and some unwise decisions that they have made. Uh, and so we're going to preach through it. You know, it, some, uh, I was beginning to feel as as uh, when I first heard what I was teaching on today, uh, you know, weeks and weeks ago, I read it and it it made really no sense. But as I began to pray and God kind of revealed what, uh, what Solomon was saying, I was like, Matt, you chunked a grenade over the fence and you went to the tropics on me. (laughs) And, uh, but that's all right. It's okay. So Solomon, he, Solomon, you know, he obviously wrote the book of uh, of Ecclesiastes and in this one, he's kind of using the the literary type is kind of a proverb. And, you know, and of course, Solomon also is credited to writing the, the book of Proverbs. And, and Proverbs are a little harder to teach because they're usually they're short and kind of choppy, and they go from one subject to the next in, in a matter of one sentence. And that's why you don't hear too many, you know, pastors or churches teaching on the book of Proverbs because it's extremely difficult. They're more meant for internal reflection book of Proverbs is, but certainly today, even though he's kind of speaking in a proverb, it still preaches well, for sure. And, and it, the, the, the Ecclesiastes, it, it follows a, uh, the literary genre is, is wisdom. You know, you've got Job, you've got Song of Solomon, Proverbs, uh, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and those are kind of the, the Old Testament wisdom books there, for sure. And if, if you are looking for a place to start your devotional, your quiet time with the Lord. If you don't have a quiet time daily with the Lord, I would recommend that you do indeed start with the book of Proverbs. Why? Because, well, it's easy to do because there's 31 books of the Bible, books of of, uh, chapters in Proverbs, and it just naturally lends itself to daily reading. So today is September 9th, and if you haven't had your time today with the Lord, I'd go home and read Proverbs chapter 9, and then tomorrow chapter 10, and so on. It's easy to do. It keeps you on track. Now, I've done this for for many years, and of course, I go in and out and do other studies as well, but I always come back to Proverbs because it gives us wisdom, full of wisdom. And Solomon, he asked the Lord, uh, Lord, can I have some wisdom? That's what he prayed for, and God granted him wisdom. I suggest that we as a church and you individually Pray for wisdom in your life because that's really what the book is about. Is of course it's about foolishness and folly, but it also lends itself well to wisdom. And so, if you don't have that time with the Lord, 
begin by studying just the Proverbs today. Make it easy, and it's easy to do. And, and God gave wisdom to, to Solomon, and of course, it's a good example for us. Let's pick up. We're going to start on in verse 2, and we'll read verse 2 and 3 and kind of take it verse by verse. So it says, A wise, man heart, wise man's heart directs him toward the right, and but the foolish man's heart directs him to the left. And in verse 3, even when the uh, the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. For, so verse 2, a wise man's heart directs him to the right, and a foolish man's heart directs him to the left. Now, that's not the new Republican slogan. <laughs> it, it's not It's not about that at all. But it, this is one of those verses, I, I don't know, hopefully you guys get this way too, but sometimes I'm, as I'm reading and studying Scripture, some some of the smallest things just cause me to stumble and stop and say, well, when, let's take a look at this a little bit deeper. And this, it just opened up. And so I kind of took a rabbit trail in my study um, as I was preparing the, this passage there. But, you know, I began to think, what is it? What is the theme of why is it say right hand versus left? Why is right equated with strength and honor and courage and left is weak and foolishness and folly? Not talking politically, you know, it, that's not what he means. But as I began to open it up, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, the, the most prominent thing when I think of on the right, I think of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father who is seated in heaven. You know, that's probably what most people know. But, uh, you know, I know it says it in Scripture many other times. And so, uh, you know, talking about the the right hand or the right side or the right seat on the, you know, on the right hand. And so as as I began uh, studying, I kind of went back even further several millenniums ago in Scripture. And if you if you remember, remember the tabernacle. It's basically the church back for the Israelites back in the day. And if, if you remember the tab- tabernacle, if you've seen it in pictures, remember there's a tent in the middle. That's the that's the holy of holies, and you know that's the tabernacle. And around it is a wall, or really it was a cloth fence, essentially, very ornate, very particularly designed with with all the you know accoutrements, and it was just perfectly designed. Now, so you got the outside fence or that. Uh, uh, the, just made of cloth, and in, on the inside you've got some courtyards. There's an altar of sacrifice. Remember that from Leviticus and some of the the Pentateuch, the early, the first five books of the Bible. Remember that. And then you have there's some other things out, you know, in the courtyard as well. And then you have the inner tent. That's where that's the actual tabernacle itself. In the tabernacle, you've got the holy of holies. Matt mentioned that a couple of weeks ago for sure, and that's where only the high priest could go in of the Israelites. The high priest, the religious leader, could only go in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the Israelites. Remember that. And so it, we're going to get to the right hand here in a second. Well, the high priest. What I, what, as I was digging out, just fascinating. What, what I, as I was studying, the high priest would go to the altar inside the tabernacle in the courtyard, and he would go to the altar, and he, God demanded of the Israelites, his people, that there must be a sacrifice to make, to take the place of, or to atone for the sins of Israel, my people. Uh, that's what God says. He says there's got to be blood. And so some of you know where I'm headed with this, and, and that's what the right hand means. And so what the, the priest did, the high priest, the leader, the chief religious, the, you know, the one who made atonement for the sins of Israel, he would go and he would, they would slaughter a lamb. 
or, or sometimes it was a, you know, a cow or whatever like that. So they would offer this lamb up to God as their sacrifice for their sins. And so what the high priest would do is he would put, it, it, this goes on and on and on, but he would take a, a drop of blood and he would take his right index finger and he put the drop of blood on his, on his right thumb. And it also got on the palm of his hand so that there would be atonement or to take the place of the sins of Israel. Now, we know that Jesus is the high priest. We know that there was blood on both hands, both on the right hand and the left. He died for all people to make atonement for our sins, to take the place of our sins. And so that's why really the right hand was so important Well, in many other things. But in this particular case, the high priest... uh, by taking the blood from the from the slaughter of the lamb, remember God said there's got to be blood to make atonement for sins. Of course, Jesus bled on the cross, and he had blood on his hands. That's where we get the term from, we've got blood on our hands. And it kind of symbolizes murder. And so Jesus is, um, as our high priest, he makes atonement. He takes the place of our sins. And so that is the salvation. That is the gospel message that he died on the cross and that he was buried and rose on the third day. That is the true gospel of, of Christ. And so in, in the Old Testament, as we, as we mentioned before, the position of honor and strength was the right hand. The right symbolized wisdom. The left symbolized folly or foolishness. Now, the word uh, sinister and in the Latin, if you go back here, so this is kind of academic. Sorry, guys, but it, it's it's kind of it, it's fascinating. Uh, it, the word sinister from the Latin is where we get our word from the left hand. That that's kind of where that word comes from. So why is one person foolish and another person wise? We we know we all know people like that. Why is that person really wise? I mean, you just want to look at that person and say, man, I want to hang around that person because they're really wise. And why is that person over there? Foolish. And why is it? Well, it's because it's a heart issue. It is a heart issue. The heart, it, it is literally the center of our life, not not just physically, but our heart, our heart condition. And so um, being at, at the center of our life, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. So sin becomes the heart of of the problem. That's why some people are foolish and some people are wise. Some people stay on top of their sin by confessing it and going to the Lord. And so their, their words are wise. So let's read about some, uh, some, this passage about some foolish politicians and some foolish business leaders some businessmen. But before we look at these different people that Solomon tells us not to imitate let, let me mention this. Um, I used to be a political junkie. Uh, and uh, it, uh, from TV, you know, staying on top of the TV and just watching all political shows to the talk radio to the different websites, newspapers, and whatever, whatever I, I was all over it. But for me, this is what happened. That I, I started to get angry at the other side. And uh, that anger grew into bitterness. And so at, at some point, this is seven, eight years ago, uh, when I was very involved, I, I volunteered with my party that, that, you know, that I vote with. And I was just very active uh, and stayed on top of it. But the anger turned to bitterness for me. And now, 
we won't get political today. We're going to talk about some politicians. Not, we're not, not going to name any names or anything. It, I changed over time. Now, I'm not apolitical. Certainly, I know who I'm going to vote for, and, and I encourage you to vote for, for whoever you feel convicted to vote for. But I know this, regardless, God is sovereign, period. And he will put into office who he wants to put in office. He is sovereign. Now, we should still vote, right? He, because he is going to, God is going to accomplish what he wants to do and so that his glory will come out and, and eventually the kingdom will be ushered into earth there. Still vote. And, but remember this, if, if you're tied up in the, the politics, don't let it get you. Don't let that anger turn into bitterness. Let, let's, look, let's start looking at some, some passages that go, go a little bit deeper. Let's talk about foolish readers. So we're going to read four through seven. So if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is, is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I've seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. And so really the whole passage, the whole chapter is kind of written like this, and I had to shake my head, and what in the world does all that mean? But as I read and prayed and went to some of the commentaries that began to make sense, what, what God, you know, what he was saying for sure. And so uh, what, it, what, he, what Solomon is saying, it says, if a ruler is proud, they may say or do foolish things that cause them to lose the respect of their colleagues. And so following the leader is not always the easiest thing to do. In, in verse 4, it, 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 the image is this. It's of a, of a proud ruler. Let me, let me read it again. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. So what happens is this, the image of this proud ruler, his ang he's angry and he turns that towards all of his workers, his subordinates. And so he had no control of his anger, his words. So Proverbs 16, 32, it says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So imagine back in the day when they built cities out there in the desert or the hills or, you know, back in ancient Israelite times, they would always build a, a wall around the city so they wouldn't get invaded and, and, and taken over. So when you, when you have no control, you're like living in a city that has no walls. You have no defenses to protect you. So if we have no control of ourselves, how can we hope ever to lead God's people? So each of us are called to be ministers, every one of us, not just the pastors. All of us are called to be ministers. How, if we have no control, how can we lead his people? How can we mentor? How can we disciple? How can we train people up? if we have no control. And, and in verse 5 and, and 7, uh, the image here is of a weak ruler. So this ruler, what he does is he puts fools, foolish people, in high places in offices, and he takes the qualified people and he puts them in the lower uh, offices. Now, I know what you may be thinking there. You know, it could be present day for you, but I know this. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes about 350 B.C. So 
really what happens is this passage is not just talking about present day. This passage transcends millenniums there, you know, 2,500 years. It transcends time and it transcends countries and continents. So this, this applies from, you know, A to Z, from America to Zimbabwe. All of all of the the past and present and future um, generations of leaders and countries and politicians this this applies to all of them and it, it can even apply to us present day too without getting political and, and putting people down there for sure uh, that 's not what we 're about we're we 're not here to put people down we 're here to preach the gospel and make sure God is exalted and so this ruler in this time he he put fools in low places. And he put the weak, the, the strong people, the qualified people in low places. He made the servants ride the horses, the place of honor. And he made the noble men, he made them walk. So if, if what he's saying is if a ruler has incompetent people leading or advising him, they're almost certainly going to be a nation of making unwise decisions. Get this. Solomon, who wrote the book, his own very own son, Rehoboam, he led the country following Solomon there. He became a very proud and unyielding ruler. Solomon's own son. And his daddy wrote this. And, and Rehoboam, he broke the rules there. And he became proud and unyielding. And what ultimately he did was he divided the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel in two. And it broke into several other parts after that. So what Rehoboam did, he listened to his youthful friends who were immature and unwise and, he, and instead of listening to wise counselors. So what he did is he made the elders walk and he put his foolish, immature friends on the horses as they traveled around. And so what we can apply today is whether it's political or you're in business, you're the manager of a team or you're the supervisor of a team, whatever, that the best leaders are going to be tough-minded, but they're going to be gentle-hearted towards their, towards their people that they lead. So in, if, you're, if you're in a position of leadership, put wise people, tough-minded but wise people who have a gentle heart, put them on the horse. And, and then, as, um, and then the, the workers, or talk, as Solomon says, put the slaves and let them walk. Put, put, let, them, let them walk. Put the best people in leadership. In verses 8 through 11, we'll talk about foolish workers at there. So let's read 8 through 11. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through the wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. In verse 11, if the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Kind of a strange passage and it doesn't make it easy to preach there for sure. But what was his point? Well, it's not about occupational hazards, so to speak. Remember the, the book, the, the theme of the book is folly and foolishness. And so he's not saying that work is folly because remember back in chapter 8, as Matt preached a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, Solomon said, really when it comes down to it, there's only a couple of things that really are worth it. And that's, you know, good food, good drink, and coming home from a good hard day's work and being the satisfaction of it. That, that's 
so Solomon's not saying work is folly. I believe that Solomon is describing people who worked foolishly. They didn't prepare. And so the common themes with these workers is that they were presumptuous, they were overconfident, and they ended up hurting themselves and others in the process, and they made their own job harder. And so they didn't plan well, and then they got overconfident. So the application for us here is to work hard and work humbly. The old saying, put, you know, put your, your, your nose to the grindstone or, or put your shoulder to the wheel and work hard. My dad used to tell me, um, he, he said, Kevin, your boss should tell, always tell you that you're his best worker. And I, I took that to heart. And so I've always said a good work ethic, and I teach my boys to do the same thing, to have a hard work ethic. Be wise, work hard, be, be humble in your work. Don't brag about your accomplishments and, and just put your shoulders through wheel and work and work hard. And, and then verse 12 through 15, Solomon goes on to talk about foolish talkers. And so let's read that. And it says, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and at the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come, what will come after him? And that's through... Uh, that was uh, 14. And in 15, the toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to the city. So what was Solomon's point here? In, in, well, remember in, in Proverbs, Solomon had a lot to say about the speech of a fool and the speech of a wise man. In this passage, he points out a couple of characteristics, four of a matter of fact, that are, that of, of words that are that we should not use and that, that lead to foolishness. So words not to use that lead to foolishness. The first one in verse 12 is destructive words, the first, first part of 12. A wise person will always speak with grace in what they say. In, in, script, in Scripture, destructive words are described in, in, in Proverbs 25. They're compared to war. In James 3, it's compared to fire and also to a poisonous beast. Those are destructive words. So a fool will blurt out whatever's on their mind and, and not consider who it's going to hurt. They hurt themselves, of course, but they don't consider who else it's going to hurt. And I have a friend, a dear friend, um, for a long time, and that friend used to say all the time, uh, that's just how God made me. It's on my mind. I speak my mind, and that's how God made me. Well, really, you know, I've got to take care of the friendship, you know, for sure. But as a believer, we also need to call people out and, and hold them accountable if we want to see them to grow. Because when, when people say, that's just how God made me, that, that's just, it's not true at all. God didn't make you that way. God made you in the image of Christ, made to be like him in his, like, in his likeness there. God did not make you that way. He wants you to speak words of grace and, 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 and not words of destruction. <clears throat> and let's see. Sorry. He wants us to grow in Christ's life. And in verse 13, uh, he, he, we speak unreasonably. That's what Solomon says. Paul, in Titus chapter 1, he said, Paul called unreasonable people, people that were 
argumentative and more unbending. He called those, Paul called those unruly and unwise and vain talkers in, in Titus 1. Another one in chapter 4, uh, verse 14, um, if read that real quick. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen. And who will tell him? Who can tell him what will come after him? And, and, and so what, he, what Solomon's saying here is unfiltered words hurt yourself and they hurt others. So he says that a fool is full of words without realizing what they're saying. And what they're saying is really nothing. In Proverbs 10, 19, he, uh, Solomon says, He who restrains his lips is wise. Are your words unfiltered? This kind of goes, it kind of ties back in there in 12 and 13 as well. Do you speak your mind, but those words get unfiltered? I live this too. And so I have some hypocritical side come out in me as well. We're all hypocrites. And scripture says it. But sometimes I have words that come out that are not filtered. So I live by this as well. And I catch myself, the Holy Spirit convicts me or my wife or my kids or my friends, they point and say, hey, you know what you said was wrong. And so we get convicted and we change that. Don't live an unfiltered, uh, don't have an unfiltered vocabulary, unfiltered thoughts. Always grow towards Christ-likeness. Um, he, Solomon says that foolish people, in, in verse 14 and 15, he says that foolish people talk about the future as if they know what it's going to hold and they're in complete control of it because it's not really true because no one knows what the future or what tomorrow holds. In Proverbs 27.1, he says, uh, Solomon says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We all know those people that talk about the things they got planned and what they're going to do in the future. Kind of Sometimes it kind of wears down on you. Um, and, but Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, his own prayer, in Matthew 6, he says, Thy will be done. So when we speak about the future plans, we should say whatever it is, if it's the Lord's will, that we should speak in the Lord's will. So in ancient times, going on in, into 15, in ancient times, the, the roads were well marked. And so this guy who spoke foolishly, he's going to do so much, he's kept on talking. He wouldn't shut up. He kept on talking, the, the foolish person. And the, the roads were very well marked. And now when we, our roads are marked, of course, and but we're traveling at 65 or 70 miles an hour. We miss Main Street. We have to turn around, do the loop, whatever. But these guys were walking. And so, you know, they had street signs. You know, may not look like what we had today, but they had signs of roads going, you know, this road's going to Emmaus, this road's going to Ephesus, whatever it is. But, you know, they're trugging along at one or two miles an hour. So there's a sign and, you know, there's a sign. And, and But the foolish person is talking so fast and so much about himself and the future that he misses the sign. And that's what Solomon says. He can't even... Uh, Salma said he can't even find the city or he gets lost. We kind of have our own saying today, and, you know, we say we can't find our way out of a paper bag. Now, this does not, this little passage here, let me just say, it does not apply to directionally challenged people. (laughs) Yes, thank you. One whom I love eternally very much, bless her, she is directionally challenged and we have this little app on the iphone that we both put it on our own phone on, on our phones there 
and it it's it allows you to track somebody. Now we're not getting weird like tracking people like that, but really it's in case we lose our phone, and, and also because one of us is directionally challenged. And I was called one day as people were making their way to IKEA and got lost. And that granted that whole intersection 121 is just a mess. Anybody could get lost in that. And she called and said, loved one, where am I? And I looked it up on a computer, and I said, you are going into DFW Airport. You don't want to go that way. <laughs> so this passage does not apply to directionally challenged people. Cl- closing up here, you have grace there for sure. Verse, this reads 1620. We're going to close out here. Uh, Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is, is of nobility in whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Though indolence, uh, the raft, through indolence, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and swine, and, and I'm sorry, and wine uh, makes life merry. Pig does too. We ate good last week. Sure. And, and money is the answer to everything. And remember, this is a proverb there, so it's kind of poetic here. Verse 20, furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the master known. That's where we get the term little birdie, heard from little birdie. And so, so Solomon, what he's done here, he's just described some foolish leaders. So now he exposes the foolish officers, the bureaucrats, the frontline managers there, the, you know, the mid-level managers. And he gives us some characteristics of, 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 of some foolish people. And what, here what he says is don't be a leader that is, who is difficult to follow. Don't be a leader who is difficult to follow. So if a king is immature and inexperienced, he's going to surround himself with immature leaders. If you're a manager... Don't surround yourself with immature leaders uh, because, we, I mean, we just learned that. Why? A noble man will surround themselves with wise and noble people who put the good of the company, the good of the organization, the good of a nation before themselves. They'll put it first. Now, get this. Uh, this stumble, uh, th- let me just read it. In Isaiah 3, 1 through 5, chapter 3, 1 through 5, this warrants writing down and reading it later and just chewing on it. It says, this is a prophecy to Isaiah from God. The leaders merely reflect the spiritual poverty of their people. And the judgment from God is that they are given immature leaders. Man, that punched me in the mouth. And uh, remember, this passage spans, transcends generations, millenniums. And continents. Uh, it, it, and it not only applies to national, but it applies to the local government, the mayor, city council, state, governor, all the above, na- national, and it, and it applies to all the different countries in the world in their leadership. And so that, it, that prophecy and that judgment from God, it, man, it just kicked me in our teeth. We need to pray for our leaders no matter what side you're on or if you're independent in the middle. It doesn't matter what side. Pray for your leaders. Pray that God will give them wisdom. And also pray for your company, that God will give your leaders of your company wisdom so they don't surround themselves with 
folly or foolish or immature leaders there. Pray for your boss. That's hard to do, man. I can could, I could see some people, hey, praying that joker is killing me. And, uh, but pray for it. Pray for your boss that God will give them wisdom. And, you know, Ecclesiastes is hard to preach. But as we said before, when we, when, when we preach through a book of the Bible, we preach the hard stuff too. We don't skip it um, at all. But the moral of this story is surround yourself with virtuous people. At all times. Remember the passage? That I love that there's a little shirt that the, I think the girls wear. And it was coming came from the colloquialism there. You know, the girls used to say, whatever. Well, there's a, you remember that shirt that says, whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is righteous, whatever is lovely. Remember that? You know, that's the New Testament scripture. Those are virtuous things that really Solomon is telling us to contemplate, to chew on. Whatever is true and lovely and right and holy, ponder, contemplate, meditate on those things. That's what, that's who we should surround ourselves with, people of virtue. And we, you and I, we should be men and women of virtue. Examples to our kids, examples to our wives, men. You should lead your wife well. You should cover her in prayer. You should teach her the Bible. You should teach your kids the Bible and, and never give up. And, and teach your, your brothers and your, and your sisters. You should teach them um, the word of God as well. Um, and you should be a virtuous man or woman. Be filled with virtue. And then reading on, let's close that real quick. In 11 through chapter 11, 1 through 6, let me read real quick. <clears throat> Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, and you will find after many days, divide your portion to seven or even eight. For you do not know what misfortune will may occur on earth. If the, um, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, whether the tree falls toward the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how the bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, to... Um, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. And in verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening uh, sowing will succeed and whether both of them uh, alike will be good. So the, this, this passage, he, he, Solomon kind of wraps up his argument uh, in chapter 10 and verse 11, in, in, or chapter 11, he kind of gives us some application in, in chapter 11. Uh, but he wraps up his argument uh, that although death is, is certain in chapter 2 of, uh, of Ecclesiastes, he concludes that life is certainly worth living, but it's unpredictable in chapter 9. And then, of course, in chapter 10, he says that we must avoid all foolishness and seek the wisdom of God and be virtuous people. Now, in this chapter, of course, what essentially what he's telling us to do is save money, but be generous with your money financially. Give to those in need. Give to those who need it, and 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 don't hoard it. Uh, don't. And then he says, don't sit around. Don't just sit idly. Go and make things happen. Make make things happen and get involved. An easy way to do that is to get involved in Agape Meals Night. 
it's a time, you know, that's it's going to be September 20th, the Thursday, the third Thursday. And what we do, we, we I love it because it's a great entry point to um, to get to serve other people, to serve the homeless, a, a good, good quality meal, except for the meatloaf. And uh, <laughs> those of you guys know what I'm talking about. And it's rough, but it's it's filling, and they they actually love it. But it's a great time to to learn to serve others. It's a great time to take your kids, take your kids to this, teach them how to serve others, the value of serving others. Why? Because it takes the focus off of them, takes the focus off of yourself, and puts it on them. And or or take you know our community groups are starting up here in a little bit. Take your community group and take that big cooker we got. It's not my cooker or it's not Mike's cooker. It's the church's cooker, the smoker. It's got a big, huge grill and smoker. Hook it up to your truck. Go to an orphanage. Take your take your community group and then go serve the kids. Say, hey, call them up. Hey, we're bringing food this week, and don't worry about it uh, tonight. You guys are eating good tonight, and we're going to have a big time. We're bringing, you know, the balloon girl who come, who you know, wherever we get a hold of her or whatever. Go have fun with the kids there and just, you know, bless them. Or go to uh, a senior home and, and just sit around with them. And they just love to talk and reminisce. Maria, my wife, she's worked at nursing homes for about 25 years. And, you know, what she tells me all the time is they, they just love to reminisce. The short-term memory is often gone there, but they can remember back to the 20s there. And that's they, they just want you to listen. Take your group and go. Take your kids and go and, and just have fun with them. And, you know, and beyond that, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, live a life of adventure that's fueled by faith. Go go to Toronto where Ron and Kay Davis's kids are up there and they're missionaries in a cross-cultural um, setting. Toronto is the most strategic city for foreign missions because Canada has kind of open borders and they let a lot of people in. But what they do is they come to those colleges in Toronto and from all parts of the world. And so there's very strategic uh, missions opportunity there because most of them go back to their countries. Or, or, you know, go wherever. Go to Agape Night. Go live a life of adventure and let it be fueled by faith. Go and tell people, uh, teach people the gospel who have never heard the gospel before. May require a passport. May require a couple thousand dollars to go to Vietnam or Uganda or wherever but live a life of adventure. Extend the reach of the kingdom there. Now let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in, in our church. We thank you for your grace, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you'll find each of us faithful as we uh, preach your kingdom to the othermost parts of the earth. Lord, we're, we're thankful that uh, uh, you're a God that gives us salvation. Uh, we thank you for the, the cross. We thank you for the blood. Lord, you commanded there be blood, and your son died and, and he bled for us for the remission to take the place of our sins. Father, we're so thankful for uh, your salvation. We pray today that you'll just give us wisdom as we as we walk this week with our friends. We pray that as men, as, as speaking to the men, as men, as fathers, as leaders, that we'll lead our house well and that we'll love our wife and our kids uh, if we have them and we'll lead them well. For those who are single, we pray that these single men will live lives of virtue and focused on you. Lord, for the ladies, we'll pray that uh, you'll take our women 
and you'll make them Proverbs 31 women filled with grace, words filled with words that glorify you. Lord, and our kids, we pray that our kids will come to know you through uh, the salvation experience. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, what, what you're doing in our church continue to stretch us. Lord, we thank you for passages that are a little sticky. Lord, your word says that all of, all, all of it's inspired and is profitable for teaching. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing here. And we give this time back to you. We worship you through scripture, reading, prayer, and, and music, Lord. And it's all about you. It's not about us, Father. And we give this time back to you as we continue to sing. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.